the, the Boga Hunting Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever. It, it go, I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few of our partners that help make this podcast possible. First up is First Light. Great camo, fusion, cypher. You get to pick your option, or you can go that new ash gray color. Uh, they make fantastic merino. They make great stuff for elk hunting, great stuff for hunting down south, great stuff for deer hunting by us. Um, so we rock it all year long. We love it. Check it out, firstlight.com. If you guys are in search of a new pack, then you guys have to check out the Seek Outside Short Tail. It's designed to cover three main uses, which are the western big game hunts, it's tree sand friendly, and it's great for backpacking long trails. And it can pack out close to 200 pounds. You could carry out a Jared. You can carry out one of me if you use want. The, use the promo code BOGA, all caps, for 5% off your order. Jared's sold separately. If you're looking to get into the tree saddle game this year, then you guys need to check out Trophy Line. These guys have been around since the 1960s, and they've been doing it ever since. We're going to be rocking their Ambush Light tree saddles this year. They're lightweight, they're comfy, and they're extremely easy to use for that beginner. Head over to their website and use the promo code BOGAHUNTING10 for 10% off your order. If you're looking for a quality, handmade, top-of-the-line traditional bow look no further than bivouac bow company jim and georgia there are excellent boyers handmade custom they are precise and they make fantastic shooting bows if you're looking for a great bow check them out bivouacbowco.com so if you guys are like me and you find that buying new arrows can be completely cumbersome and annoying where you have to go to the bow shop and have them cut your arrows and glue in the inserts then you guys need to check out vector custom shop all of their arrows are purpose built meaning they're going to take your draw weight your draw length and a bunch of other specs that you want and they're going to actually make the arrow for you and then send it to you and they have direct to consumer prices so check these guys out vectorcustomshop.com there are a lot of good apps out there but if you're a hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise. First of all, they have GPS software that tells you where you are, where boundaries are, if you, you can share locations. But it's also a, a community of hunters where you can all share what you're experiencing. We'll post there pretty regularly. Actually, that is where I have my only social media account. So if you want to see what's going on in my mind, go to HuntWise and check us out. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. This week we have Rachel and Wade. Rachel and Wade, um, you want to tell us who you are, what you're a part of, and give us a little background on who you are? Wade, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have a blog, elevatedwild.com, and uh, we're on Instagram and all that. But uh, Rachel and I have been kind of cataloging all the uh, all the wild game cooking we do and, you know, our kind of journey towards just uh, being as conscientious as possible with the, what we consume and, you know, trying to make the most of wild game and kind of showing it in a different light. You know, we both come from a uh, restaurant background yeah. and, uh, you know, just trying to do a little more than jalapeno poppers, basically. Right, right, right. <laughs> Although jalapeno poppers are pretty good. It's a mighty yeah, there's choice. nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with them. <laughs> no, I, I actually first heard of you guys. Um, someone had posted an article um, uh, that that was done in the New York Times. I think the uh, the new breed of hunters article. I think it was, which was great stuff. I mean, like, what a great way to represent hunting to maybe you know actually a lot of people who who don't hunt and aren't, aren't really familiar with uh, with the kind of this kind of way of of doing things. Yeah, no, that uh, that article was great. I think. Um... Like the article mentioned, Rachel and I didn't grow up hunting. You know, we got into this in our mid-20s and um, didn't have family that did it, didn't have any friends that hunted, and right. you know, kind of just dove into it from purely a food angle at first. And it's been such a, you know, fulfilling thing that 
you know, it's kind of encompassed our entire lifestyle at this point. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you guys kind of connect? Rachel can take this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we met through mutual friends, um, and then we actually wound up working together for a little bit. And I remember when we first met, you know, our, our friends introduced us, and they said, hey, you know, he likes to fish. Ah, I said, okay. oh, I'm gonna, I want to talk to him. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, I did grow up fishing, uh, nothing serious, but I, I always enjoyed it. And so, you know, that was kind of something that drew me to him. And so that's kind of how we wound up hitting it off was talking about fishing. And, uh, you know, we started dating and, uh, gosh, probably a couple months later, uh, he took me out, taught me how to shoot the bow. Uh, we went out and hunted deer. Yeah. And he was only a few seasons in at the time. I was a complete novice. Right. Um, and then, you know, Within a year after that, we bought a little boat and started duck hunting. And I mean, we we just started doing everything. We dove right in. No, that's awesome. Here's a little known fact: our our Boga listeners probably don't know. I actually introduced Jared to archery. I taught him how to shoot Fake a bow. Fake news. <laughs> really? Fake well, news. I might not have actually introduced it to him, but I definitely taught him how to perfect it. You know, mm-hmm. any Jared, any success you've had, like I feel like you have to really attribute to me and the influence I've had on you. Well. I guess on the flip side, I still have to take you out to your stand with a flashlight and a bag of candy. Yeah. To you down. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That That's about right. It's it's really all about getting a good partner, mm. you know, and it seems like Rachel, you and Wade are good partners. I mean, kind of connecting the way you do and then, um, you know, cooking the way you do is, is pretty cool. Uh, so you both have uh, backgrounds in culinary arts. Culinary, yeah. yeah. Jared has a little background in culinary Small arts. Small a bit. How'd you guys, what, what's your what's your training, what, what's your background look like when it comes to making food? Well, my parents had a restaurant when I was a kid, and um, I don't know if you ever go to like a small little restaurant, you see some kids doing their homework in the back. Yeah. Um, that was me. You know, I just kind of grew up in uh-huh. it. Didn't really want to be a part of it, quite honestly. But um, worked in restaurants through high school and into college, you know, paying for beer money and kind of just kept going and uh, ended up being the exec chef at a restaurant, uh, you know, for the last, I don't know, nine years or so. We recently closed. But, um, you know, Rachel and I have both worked in, I guess, like upscale dining, and we both have a lot of passion for food, even before we worked in the restaurant industry. Yeah. You know, no formal training per se, but mm-hmm. a lot of exposure, you know, and just like a lot of hands on time and a lot of time to experiment with things. Yeah. That, that's really all formal classroom settings are. I mean, I, I went to a culinary uh, institute for a couple semesters, and really the m- classes that I learned the most, we were doing, you know, an hour lecture yeah, and then like a four-hour lab. Right. So you're just basically taught some things, and then while you're in the kitchen doing it, that's where you really learn all your, you know, your knife skills and your your sautéing skills, the working with starches and right. learning the five mother sauces and you know what's the what's the five mother what are the five oh mother sauces? Boy. Do you know those? Uh I know there's bechamel. You mean Deschanel? No. No. Um there's a red <laughs> sauce. I don't know the names of them. I just remember bechamel. 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 Well, I'll say this about your education as a culinary artist. It was good to be your roommate at yeah. the time. <laughs> I bet. You know, it was pretty I sweet. Bet. So you guys kind of, at what point did you decide to fuse and, and, you know, do this blog where you're fusing your background and your interest with, um, you know, you know, other passion you have outside? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, we'd talked about doing it for years. I mean, just years. We were both really, really busy with work, and we just never really had kind of the, the kick in the pants to sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I left the restaurant industry, which gave me a lot more time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we had this you know, discussion with Kim at the New York Times and we said, well, hey, you know, if there's going to be a time to do it, <laughs> you right. know, now's mm-hmm. the time. Um, and so that was kind of, that was the last thing that we really needed to kick us up into, you know, getting it done. But it was something that had been rolling around in the back of our heads for years. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And it's been great to follow you. Um, and really, I mean, selfishly a little bit, but the reason we had you on today was, you know, we're going into uh, October. It's whitetail season. Um, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure I'm not totally blowing it when it comes to preparing my meat, you know, my venison. Mm. That Hopefully I get some this year. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I want to talk a little bit through that with you guys um, and, and just how you, you know, handle venison and what, what you've seen work really well and, and how you like to do it. Does that work for you? 
both of us, you know, we we both enjoy a diverse palette of food. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 don't really subscribe to one type of cuisine, one region, or one you know culture. Uh, we we just like a little bit of everything. Right. And the way we look at our venison is, you know, at its core, it's a lean red protein. You right. Know, like other. You know, animals, there's tougher parts and there's more tender parts. And breaking it down from there, as far as, like, what can you do with, say, you know, back straps and tenderloins versus what you can do with necks and shanks mm-hmm. and tongues and cheeks and ribs. You know, you treat them a little differently, but it's it's all kind of the same at the same time, if that makes sure. any sense. Yeah. Like yep. You just, you know, you, you're cooking lean red meat, so if you want to add fat you need to do that and if it's tough you have to you know tenderize it some way or into the other and you know it just if you can you know braise a shank you can cook just about anything on a deer you know like right. it's that's that's i would say on the more tricky side as far as uh cooking venison goes like getting that timing right and getting it to the point where it's tender you know it's uh i think that's where you uh when you realize that you can do you can transfer the skills you have for one dish that you like to everything else. Sure. It makes it real. Yeah. So we actually just dialing it back. Um, when does hunting season start for you guys? You're in Virginia, right? Uh, yeah. Um, this, well, I guess technically resident goose is in. Dove yeah. opens a Saturday. Whitetail open the first Saturday in October. Um, you know, in the Northern Virginia part of the state, I think it's already open. It's like, nine months up there or something like that but you hunted um, in the northern part right jared was that yeah you? quantico quantico or yeah, like yeah. alexandria area yeah yeah we're just a little south of quantico actually oh not very nice there's some good deer down there there's yeah. a lot of good deer up in there yeah yeah there's a lot of deer yes just total i mm-hmm. mean you, you get six tags with your license so that's pretty sweet i never got to max out yeah. that many. you never max no. it out you're close i was close never never got one while i was on base that's all right. Yeah. So you guys have so you have a little time to prepare for it, but um. So yeah, you're, well, let's let's uh, before we you know you get your season starts, say you, you get one down early on. Um, what are you doing uh, to that deer? Uh, to are, are you gutting it right away? Are you hanging it? Are you what kind of what do you do with the meat? Because you know we've heard people that that hang it and age it. Mm-hmm. We've had people that will quarter it out and you know butcher it right away. What's what's your approach to that? I think that's all weather dependent. You know we don't have a big walking pool or anything right so early in the season it's going to be like 80 degrees here 90 degrees so we get that thing cut up into quarters at the uh, at the least and get it in the fridge yep. or you know in a cooler over top of ice you know i think spoilage is the biggest concern there given the temperature sure. yeah but you know we love aging deer if we can you know we have the, the weather or access to a walk-in you know, seven plus days, you know, even a day or two helps, but like right. we really find that it really takes off around the seven, eight day marker. And, um, is that when the, you know, just the fibers, the fibers break down? Is it like takes about eight days? Yeah. I, I, we, you know, we haven't done a side by side of like day versus day. Um, but we find that the deer that we shoot later in the season that we can hang for almost a week or a week plus tend to be more tender, you know, yeah. you know, Traditionally, dry aging beef, you want to do 12 days minimum, and everything past that is kind of like diminishing returns. Yeah, we've heard that before. That's what Nick was telling us the other day. That's, that's mm-hmm. interesting. There's like a kind of a, a cutoff point where it doesn't really matter so much anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it does get better, but the, what you, what, you know, the amount of better it gets is a lot less. You know, just even a night or two really helps. You know, you just get past that rigor mortis stage, let it cool down evenly. I think it's easier to cut, it's easier to process less messy and um from there we break down all the deer the same way we take them apart into um primals and subprimal muscles everything basically gets cut off um i do leave a lot of semi bone in or bone in cuts like i'll cross cut shanks sure and um cut the ribs into a rack and do a lot of uh, bone in chops with the top loin oh do you okay yeah i was gonna ask how, how you did that we've uh we've heard it in multiple ways where you do like, like kind of how you're described or even kept just the ribs and roll them up and, and kind of bake them that way? Yeah. So the ribs, 
it's a tough piece of meat. It's got a lot of fat on it. So you want to tenderize the meat and you want to render some of that fat out because otherwise it's going to, you know, have a really waxy mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. So we usually braise those uh, indirect heat, yep. you know, low, you know, low heat, a little bit of liquid, uh, depending on how thick they are, you know, anywhere between four and six hours. And then take them out, let them drain. So all that fat kind of runs off, let them cool a little bit. Then we just brush them with whatever barbecue or rub we want and apply some direct heat, you know, with the broiler or the grill or the smoker. You know, you could mix it up. You could smoke it first and then braise it and then char it. You can sous vide it and then char it. You know, it's all, it's all up to the user. You know, it's just the core concept of that dish is you're trying to tenderize the meat, render out the fat, and then, you know, get the texture you want that char or that sear adds that kind of like, you know, crispy meat on the end that everybody wants. Yep. So however you achieve that is kind of up to you. Are you a big sous vide guy and, and gal? Um, Are you guys both into that kind of thing? I like, we both like a little bit of everything. Sure. Like, you know, I've been sous vide, you know, I, I use a sous vide at work for, you know, a long time and it's pretty cool. You know, you can do a lot of things with it that you can't do traditionally. I think it's an excellent tool. But I also like cooking over, you know, hardwood. You yeah, know, I right. like, you know, like I like the traditional stuff and I like the really high tech stuff as well. Right. I think they each have a time and a place. I think where it gets really cool is where you can mix them all up yeah. and get something that you could not do without either technology. I'm trying to come up with a good way to take. So I've got a sous vide, which is I really like it. You're, you're kind of right, though. It's like you just I, I sometimes almost want to be more involved with the cooking. Um, yeah. But. I want to combine like the sous vide with the smoker. So I just got a smoker and I've been playing with different recipes and that's, that's kind of what I'm uh, trying to do. I'm trying to compare those two. I don't know if they pair that well. Yeah. I think you could do it. Um, if your smoker can get down to a low temp, like, is it like a, like a pellet, sm- a pellet grill yep. kind of smoker or yeah, it's it like, like a, a grill, a grill pellet yeah. smoker. Yep. You know, find the cold spot in that. Um, you could cold smoke basically anything that you're going to do. That would work best with like, first um tougher cuts because it's going to be exposed to a lot of heat over an extended period of time so applying a lot of smoke at a low temp and then bagging it up and then sous vide it until it's tender and Mm -hmm. then you know giving a little char on there it's going to give you that texture that you can't really achieve with traditional um braising techniques but it's going to have that you know very traditional wood burning smoky flavor yeah right that's a great example of like why i like mixing those technologies yeah i actually i think i'm gonna try that that's that's an interesting thing i've mm-hmm. been once i so i got the smoker i haven't had it that long actually i got it and the next day i left on a camping trip with my family to yellowstone for two weeks so i literally had like hardly any time to play with this but now that i'm back oh it's, we're gonna be eating a lot of smoked i've done ribs on it yeah i've done pork butt on it oh baby it's phenomenal i feel like chicken is one of my favorite things to do in a smoker, I feel like it improves the most. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things so far. So, yeah, liking that smoker a lot. Um, for you guys, I mean, you cut the deer open, you know, you're hanging and everything. Is there any cuts of meat you're going to cut and, uh, and eat right away? Mm. Tenderloins or anything like that? Yeah, tenderloins usually are day of, um, you know, the one thing that we probably eat that day, you know, maybe that hour even. Yeah. Um, you know, if there are a bunch of people around, like, I shot a deer, I think, two seasons ago, and we met up with some friends at a party, you know, right after sunset. Right. And, um, you know, took a backstrap off and, you know, grilled it up for everybody. So, you know, the meat improves for sure if it, you know, has time to rest, but it's still good, you know, over fire. You know, it's it's not binary. You know, like, it can be... Right. It doesn't have to do this thing to be good. It, you know, you can... It's more situational than anything else. Yeah, I mean and the heart too. We uh, do a lot of hearts day of. Oh yeah, the heart. Love the heart. My daughter is. Yep. She'll eat the entire. If I let her, she would eat the entire heart. She's that's <laughs> like the heart with just you know fried up with onions. Like she's. I've uh-huh. got this picture of her when she was like four. I'd shot a buck and it was just had this a huge, comparatively huge heart to other other deer that I shot. And I just have a picture of me holding it next to her, and she's like looking at it like she's ready to eat it right there. Just take so, a bite out yeah. of that bloody dude. <laughs> she, she's not grossed out by things like that because she, she, well, it's just you're exposed to it early, and it's it's normal. Yeah, savage. I know, I know. My, I, I some of my non-hunting family members were like horrified. I'm like, it's it's a muscle like anything else, yep. and it's actually one of my favorite cuts. I think that's top five for me. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't beat a heart taco. Oh, so good. Well, are you guys into tongues? Have you done a lot of tongue meat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've actually got a recipe coming up pretty soon for uh, Sika tongue tacos. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They turned out great. I, I, I feel like deer tongue, you got to get a lot of them. To, you know, you got to add up a, a, a few to get a good meal out of it. Are you able to get get enough meat off a, a few, or how, how do you do that? Yeah, we usually stockpile them. You know, like, I think two is, two from decent-sized deer is, you know, enough for two of us for a whole meal. But, you know, it's throughout the season, you know, if you just put them in a Ziploc bag or, you know, vacuum seal them or whatever and toss them in the freezer and just add them up until you have enough to, you know, do it. Yeah. You know, they make, they make great leftovers. They freeze really well if you leave them intact because they basically have, you know, a little membrane a over cover. the entire muscle. Yeah. Yeah. They look weird. So it's never going to freeze or burn. No, that they do look weird. You know, I, I will even get um, tongue from our butcher for cows because people just don't take theirs. Um, yeah. And it just looks like it's got little tentacles. And so if yeah. you show it to somebody, like, that's new to it, what it looks like ahead of cooking it, I feel like they're kind of turned off. But it is, I mean, that is, one of again, one of the best cuts of meat. It's, I feel like its texture is not yeah. too different than a heart. Oh, yeah. No, I think, um, you know, one thing that I think people would be, you know, would be beneficial with people to realize is like the meat that has the most flavor generally is the the muscles that have to they have to work a lot. Like the heart is super dense, and you know it's you know literally beating however many times a minute, you know. And the you know the cheeks, the tongue, the shanks, like this animal is running and it's chewing all day, and those muscles are really really tough to support those actions. Right. But that's why they have so much more flavor. You know, like those are in our opinion, like the best cuts of meat because yeah. they taste like that animal. Nothing wrong with a backstrap or tenderloin, you know, it's delicious. But the amount of flavor, you know, pound for pound, you're going to get more out of the tough cuts. Do you feel like people are, when people say that something's gamey, it's just because they're not quite used to, like, they're just used to a very, they've been only exposed to a like corn like, finished beef? Yeah, and only like yeah. three, like chicken, cow, pig. And I'm trying you know, to think what else. Yeah, we've been eating nothing but wild game for years now. And, you know, I find that when I do have a taste of beef, I don't like it anymore. Right. Your palate adjusts so quickly mm-hmm. to, you know, what you're used to eating. I, I can't do beef. It's too fatty. It doesn't have any flavor. It grosses me out now where right. I didn't used to. And so, you know, I do think that there's an aspect of, you know, people just not being used to the flavor of wild game. Yeah. And I think also there's there's a there's a mental game there where you're looking for something different mm-hmm. about it. You know, you're like, ooh, this is venison. Like, it's right. going to be game. You go into it with that expectation, and you're not able to appreciate it for what it is. Yep. You know. No, I can I can completely attest to that. We had we had done a a company hunt where we went to a a, a local farm where they release you know pheasants around on the land. You can go there and shoot them. It's 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 fun mm-hmm. for for some of the clients to do. Um, but some of the guys at the end were offered, you know, three or four pheasants to take home. Right. Like, no, I don't want any, whatever. So I'm like, dude, I'll take them. Right. Like, put them, put them in the car. Yeah. Put them in the trunk. So I've, you know, I've got like 20 pounds of pheasant meat. Still? Oh yeah. Dibs. Can I smoke <laughs> one of those? <laughs> oh yeah. Bring oh, one yeah. to work tomorrow. I'm coming out to, and getting it. I'm needing uh, something new to yeah. smoke. And so I had made a dish, um, and just substituted chicken breast for some some pheasant breast, and my brother-in-law came over and he's not. A hunter at all, right? Which one? I'm not going to say his name because I know some of his friends listen to this podcast. Butch? Is it Butch? No. Is it Nick? I'm not going to say. Okay. And he ate it's the Butch. he ate the entire dish. Did he really? Didn't he ate know. the entire dish, and then I told him afterwards, which probably wasn't nice of me to say, right? Because I don't really like surprising people, with, right? Like with a, game upset them. Yeah, I feel it's their kinda, delicate can sensibilities. Kinda, yeah, can can be kind of mean, but right. I was like, yeah, that was... Uh, as long as you're not lying to them. Right. You know, I feel like if you are going to offer somebody some wild game and they usually are not used to having it, you don't want to surprise them and be like, ha-ha, you just ate <laughs> this. <laughs> just fed you bat. Yeah. 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 Um, So then I told him afterwards and he was completely shocked. He's like, dude, that tasted awesome. I'm like, yeah, that was pheasant. Right. And yeah. it just, I don't know why, but I think if he would have known it was pheasant going into it, he would have had just a different experience just yeah. because he knew it was something different. He was probably trying to taste something different. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of bias that's built in. You know, like, 
you if you go in expecting not to like something, you're not going to like it. Right. Generally, right. you know, like, and I think what you mentioned earlier about like the limited scope of the American diet, you know, it is like five different proteins, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all corn fed and yeah. it's all been, it's all been tailored to the taste of the masses and that's mild and fatty, you know, right. like you look at how big these chickens are and how big these turkeys are and how that's much crazy. fat and marbling there is in a beef, you know, it's, it's incredible. But yeah. at the same time, it's, you know, it's we're giving people exactly what they want, and that's mild flavored meats. And I mean, for how many people that like the only fish they've ever eaten is probably like a wild salmon. I mean, I'm sorry, a <laughs> tuna, uh, uh, a farmed tilapia. salmon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, yeah. which so, if you actually look at the ingredients on farm raised salmon. There's like pink color added right. to the meat, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's another that's another right rabbit hole. Yeah. And you know, they're just there's just like so different than what they used to be and wild game you know is so variable and so flavorful and it's got so many more things going on mm-hmm. that i think even if it doesn't taste bad to some people it's overwhelming you know it just yeah. tastes like more than they're used to and you know people are hesitant to you know try try things that they don't like even though you know mm-hmm. like if you don't like some food you can just get more you know you get mm-hmm. something else it's not a big deal but I feel like we've got to this point where everybody wants to have exactly what they want whenever they want, and they're scared of trying new things. And I think it holds people back from good experiences. Yeah. Until COVID happens, and then people can't have what they want all the time. Right. That's kind of what we, that's, that's kind of what we talked about uh, last week. This yeah, this last week we had a couple guys on. We and somehow the conversation got to around COVID and how there was such a meat sh- shortage. Yeah. And how. Mm-hmm. There were certain aisles in a grocery store that were completely packed, but others were completely bare. Yeah. And just yeah. why that happens and what the human brain actually thinks of when they think of food. They d- they're they drawn to certain types of food. And yeah. People couldn't have what they wanted, and they're just freaking out about it. Well, my mom went to – I was just talking to my mom yesterday. She's like, I went to get – they've been growing. They've got a, a big garden. They have – they did grapes this year for the first time. Did That's they get some now? A ton. Yeah. Oh, well, this isn't the first year. They obviously, they, but they finally got their first crop of grapes. Uh, and she, so she was like, I'm going to make some jelly. You know, she's no, we actually did it. No sugar. Uh, sweetened awesome. with apples. Very cool. Pretty good. But she couldn't find any canning uh, jars. Canning, nothing. Yep. Oh my God. They've been impossible to yep. find. Yeah. It's been and they're nuts. expensive online. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've got a few that I've had stashed downstairs for a while that I just kind of reuse. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, I tried that. And that's the same thing with flour. There was that big trend for everyone doing sourdough bread. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now. yeah. You, you could not Funny. find a bag of flour anywhere. That's why I go gluten free, man. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I sprinkle some on you. Yeah, I do. That, that, you know what? You're going to be the one who pays. So uh, that, that's, that's cool. Um, Actually, Jared, you know, what? if you had to pick a, pe- a meat, a part of a deer, a cut of deer, mm-hmm. what would be your, just that you would have to, that you if you could pick, like, pick a, a part of a deer that you would eat every day? That was kind of a messy way to ask that question. No, if that's fine. If you had fine. to pick part of a deer that you'd eat every day, what would that, that cut be? Um, It would have to be uh, some part not of the- Not your favorite, just you one know, you no, eat no, every I'm, day. No, 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 I'm not going to use the obvious- um, Backstrapper tenderloin. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna go with a rear quarter. Rear quarter. One of one of the main muscle groups back there because they're they're just so versatile. Okay. You can do a lot of things with it. Um, you can you can braise braise it with a roast. Yeah. Um, you can you can brine it and make it into a pastrami. Yep. Um, you can grind it if you wanted to. I mean, there's, you can cut it into steaks. Oh, you see, that, really, that you was can, kind of a loophole to that question because it's really the universal right chunks. So now, I'd probably do that from professional perspectives. Is Jared's opinion informed, or is it just kind of ridiculous? No, I think that's a fantastic answer. I mean, I think for, you know, if I had to eat one one cut every day of anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, I'd want that one thing to be versatile. You know, like as much as I love hearts, like there's only you know, so many ways to apply heat to a heart, you know. And it's such a strong so, taste. It would be, I feel like after a while, I'd be like, wow, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, have you seen the movie Old Boy? You know, he's eating the same dumplings for 15 years. Straight <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, I don't want to end up like that guy. Right, right. 
Hey, we wanted to take a quick break here from the conversation to thank a couple of our sponsors who helped make this show possible. One of the reasons why James and I love hunting so much is because we get to share our wild game with other people. But we need to be able to do it that's easy and reliable every time. Gorilla Grills is a local company here in West Michigan based in Holland. One of the great things about them is they ship the grill directly to you. There's no middleman, no big box store, so they're able to make a superior product at a better price point. The food and the smoke quality that's coming off this grill is unbelievable. We've received so many compliments on it already. So if you guys want to find out more about what Mark and his team are doing over there, head over to GorillaGrills.com to order your new grill. Now a proud partner of Boga Hunting, the American-owned, veteran-owned, Wisconsin-based Vortec Optics Company designs, engineers, produces, and distributes a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Dedicated to providing unrivaled customer service and exceptional quality, Vortex backs its products with an unconditional transferable lifetime VIP warranty. So if you guys want a glass with the best, head over to VortexOptics.com and use promo code BOGA20 for 20% off. Thanks for listening, and let's jump back in. No, that's, that That makes sense. Thank you. I feel like I, I was thinking something like... Not as like dumb a, as I look. No, I was thinking like a ne- something in the neck. Is that weird? I like a good neck roast, or I like, I like that piece of meat. That's fair. But I guess it's not as good as yours yeah. now. I feel like... Well, I think the only problem is you can't do anything on the neck really fast. No. So if you're, you know, pinched on time, you know, you kind of have to, everything has to be pre-planned a little more. Yeah, and with kids, like, a lot of times with between different things, it's like, well, what's the fastest way to to get something made? Mm-hmm. Usually I think of it like, oh, crap, you know, dinners. Forgot about dinner today. So. Yeah, but cooking cooking meals can be. I don't know, a little, a little crazy at times, especially if you're doing it with like a cut of meat you've, you've never really tried to prepare before. Right. And I feel like a lot of people are either doing it wrong the first time yeah. or they don't know what to do Yeah. at that time. But do you guys see any common like mistakes or misconceptions um, when, when people are trying to prepare venison? Like, are they think, oh, you can only use olive oil and salt and pepper or you know, you know, what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think there are. I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, I guess bad um, wives' tales, I guess, or whatever else you want to call them. Right, like, like soaking the meat in milk. Advice. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, is yeah. that not real? Yeah, that too. I mean, you can do it. Why well, can't? I'm allergic to milk. Yeah, I mean, the average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people are just generally scared of things that are different, and I think venison is different for so many people than you know what they're used to. Mm-hmm. So they they just listen to the advice that's you know kind of either handed down to them or they find on the internet, and it's like you know soak it in Diet Coke yep. or you know Pepsi or milk or Italian dressing, and then you know you add nine different you know, onions and ketchup flavor things to it. Yeah, yep. you know I think a lot of it goes to towards the idea of like trying to mask what it is right instead of just eating it as it is i mean i think if you really want to know what a deer tastes like you know or what venison tastes like you know take a piece of that tenderloin slice it real thin and just eat it raw you know like that's that's going to give you an idea of what that animal tastes like and how tender it is yeah and how good that meat is um but i think you know people i think are scared of trying new foods and they're always going to lean towards what's safe and yeah. you know what people tell them yeah. and, and I, th- I think there's a little bit of ritual too around these like soak the venison preparations mm-hmm. uh, okay. or really any wild game it, it almost does feel like it's almost like this ritualistic thing like we've got something that well maybe most people don't consider it food so you've got to give it this like special treatment that you wouldn't do to anything else right, right? like <laughs> very few people soak their chicken in pepsi before they cook it right but you have to like give it this like special treatment before it can then become food yeah. and i think that you know when you're looking at wild game recipes critically i think looking at them with the eye of why am i doing this 
And if you're looking at the recipe and you can't explain why you're doing this, then it's probably not a good step to follow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, same, you know, and if, 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 if this whole thing is just to mask the flavor, well, you should probably move on from that recipe. Yeah. You see, I was at a family get together to going on the soaking in soda thing. Okay. They made, they had made a bunch of burgers, right? Just your normal frozen hockey pucks. But after they had cooked them, they threw them in a bath, I shit you not, of Mountain Dew. <laughs> wait, what? They that's, threw that's their terrible. burgers in Mountain Dew. <laughs> to do what? Wait. I don't know. Do you, this is your relatives? But I ate it. Was it good? It couldn't. I didn't notice anything different. Maybe they were a little bit sweeter. They put it in Mountain Dew. Mountain uh. freaking Dew. Now, what's the science behind that? What, not what, are, we, a what are we going here? Not a, I don't know. That's, that's, I don't know. I was hoping Rachel knew. <laughs> Man, that is wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think some of these recipes too, like you get that, you know, the soaking in juice or Pepsi or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, you're adding sugar fundamentally is what you're right. doing, you know, and Americans love barbecue sauce. We yep. love a, you know, sweeter kind of tangy sauce. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I can kind of see that application, but, you know, you could get the same effect by making your own barbecue sauce. You know, you can play with the flavors a little bit, add a little bit of acid, add a little bit of sugar to counterbalance the umami of the meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, wind up with a much better result. Well, what's, wait, and maybe, you know what, maybe, well, maybe, they were, maybe they were soaking the, the frozen pucks in Mountain Dew just to maybe give yeah. it that sugar content to get that caramelization when they were cooking. Yeah, caramelize. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm not on board. I don't know. But I just I, don't know. I have to stop, though, because I, I just heard a word I don't know. Did you say udamame? Uh, I said umami. What's umami? Umami, man. I don't know what that um, is. It's like a, like a very deeply savory flavor. Um, you know, you get it in mushrooms. Uh, you get it in, mm. you know, really nice tomato. Um, you know, if you want to go on the kind of junk food spectrum, anything with a lot of MSG, uh-huh. um, you know, your your Fritos, your ramen, you know, your takeout Chinese food. That like all dark of that really flavor. Deeply, yeah. Yeah. Like a like, con- like, like a, a consomme. Very, yeah. Yeah. You'll okay. have it in a rich consomme. Um, yeah, you know, like it has Parmesan this kind is a good of, example of it. Yep. Oh, Anything okay. that, it has like a mouth coating and like you, you just want to keep eating it, you know. Um, I think they call it the fifth flavor. Mm. There's like salt, that. sugar, fat, umami. Wait, what am I missing? Acid. Yep. Acid. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the five. I used to know that. Well done. Well. Yeah, I feel like it didn't stick. <laughs> no, you should get some sort of re- 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 right out. Get out of here. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Okay, I had another question about that that I can't remember now. Yeah, bring n- it up. New in taste. Second. All right, so we've talked about different ways to repair. Now you guys, you've been together for a while, right? Um, what, what's your, what's your family like favorite, uh, way to recipe for for deer? Like, if you had to pick one that like is just kind of a classic for you guys, what what does that look like? Oh man, that's so hard. Man, that's probably okay, especially narrow, hard from you. Narrow, you it down, of, narrow it down a little bit, because there's a ton of recipes. Their toolbox is a little bit bigger than the average person's. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, and you know, it's just the two of us, so we can get pretty adventurous with the food because we right. don't have a lot of palates to please. So we bounce all over the place. Um, you know, we definitely we do a lot of tacos, kind of year round with whatever we got on oh, hand. Oh yeah, yeah. That's always just like your quick, mm-hmm. you know, easy weeknight dinner. Um, we had for dinner tonight, one of my old family recipes, uh, it's old recipe called, oh my gosh, which is like (laughs) a, it's like a twist on like paprikash, but a little bit more chicken dumplings. Ooh. Uh, but we did that with venison. Yeah. It's like a little bit more brothy. It doesn't have the sour cream, Mm. uh, with the homemade dumplings. So we did that for dinner tonight. And that has been something that we've really been getting Mm. into. Jared just drooled on his shirt a little bit. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Grab some towel in it. Yeah, <laughs> and we do a lot of pho, so. I was yeah. just, I was literally going to just no, ask. No, you weren't. Yes, I was, because what I, I have it in my notes. I, is it pronounced pho or pho? And I've been calling it pho, and I feel like it's just, am I, I'm totally wrong now. Um, I mean, I think it depends who, who you're talking to. It doesn't really matter. I think they understand, whoever's listening understands what you're saying. So. Okay, because yeah. my wife and I, it's been a debate. Wade, you're supposed to tell him he's dead wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say which one <laughs> so I thought it was. I want you to rephrase what you just said and say, Jim, you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. It's okay. You don't have to. No. I'm just kidding. Usually I try to get people to go along with what I'm trying to. Yeah, it's fair. On my side of the conversation. So you make, f- the debate. You make faux or pho with, with venison. 
Yeah, we do it with oh, everything. We do it with everything. What is oh, yeah. pho it's so again? good. I'm going to say the opposite of you. So what is pho? That's what I call it. Uh, what is pho? <laughs> it's, um, it's a Vietnamese soup. Um, it's basically a consomme with a lot of um, with a lot of um, spices in it. Okay. So it's a consomme. It's just like a thick, rich yeah, yeah. broth or stock, and uh, it's supposed to be fairly clear. And um, the more bones and connective tissue you use to make that stock better, and gives it more body and that umami feel. Um, you know, when it's cold, it should be like almost gelatinous. Yeah. But. You know, it's got a lot of very savory spices in it. Star anise, cinnamon, fennel, clove. Um, I use a little Szechuan, uh, some black pepper, cardamom, green cardamom, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's got their own little thing, mm -hmm. you know. It's one of those things I don't really measure anything. We just kind of put it in there. But, you know, we process it, basically simmer that for, you know, however many days, season it, and then um, rice noodles and a bunch of herbs and usually either thinly sliced, raw, venison or goose or whatever we make it with yeah. and some braised stuff you know some of the tougher cuts that have cooked a little longer all that together you know poison sauce um sriracha mm. jalapenos onions scallion stuff it's like um i don't know it's like the best hangover food there is in the world <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's it's like chicken soup that and curry yeah. yeah 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 it'll bring you back from the dead <laughs> yeah yeah has anyone ever made venison faux yeah, that's what that's what they're that's saying. That's what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. This is with oh, venison. Okay, gotcha. Put, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so that was why I was because I'm I'm wondering. I, I think I'm gonna try that this year. That's like a my eight year old is a big faux fa fan. That's awesome. So um, maybe I'll make more of that. So now, you, are you through your venison from last year, or are you looking to to refill the freezer? You still have some in there. Uh, I think we're down to just you know a, a few packages left. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. We really we, we got through burn it. Through it. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of venison too, but we've been doing a lot of charcuterie too. So we've been, nice. you know, making salami and pepperoni and that kind of thing. So we've gotten through a lot of it. I need to talk with you guys just a little bit more on that. Yeah. <laughs> that, did you, I was did you scrolling tried it through, once? I was scrolling it, through some of those pictures, and God, that is one of my next, I think, obs so obsessions that I want to get into. Oh man, it's so cool. It's a little yeah. bit you got to you got to build the curing chamber, but okay. once you've got that, you can do anything. That's incredible. I think the curing chamber use... is what you go into before you go into space. That's that what you're talking about. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Make sure the pressure is equalized. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how did you guys get into the char charcuterie? Charcuterie? Charcuterie. Yeah. yeah, like for for a newbie, like yeah. how would a newbie get into it? So if I yeah, if I want to get into it starting tomorrow, you're saying I should start okay. with an aging chamber. Yeah, it, well, you either need a curing chamber or you need an environment that's you know similar to that. You know, traditionally this would be done in cellars or yeah. caves or mm -hmm. you know high humidity, low temp, very stable temperature, like a wet uh, basement. Yeah, like Michigan wet basement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that might honestly work. Like, you just need, you know, it, it needs to be somewhat clean so, you know, you don't have a bunch of weird bacteria growing and mold and stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, people people have been doing this for, you know, thousands of years without modern refrigeration. So it's very doable, but, it, you know, given how cheap it is to build a curing chamber, I highly recommend it. Just is a lot safer. You know, botulism is, like, the number one concern, and it will kill you. and Kill you dead. And it's... Yeah, like dead, dead. Um, so it's a, it's once you understand the core concept and you follow the general guidelines, it's kind of hard to go wrong. Right. But you do have to kind of understand that there are some serious risks involved. It's a lot because like canning. Of, sure. Yeah. If you're mm. a canner and you can like wrap your head around the food safety aspect and understand the general concept, mm -hmm. it, it's it's the same learning curve with charcuterie. He's talking about death. Yeah, no, I mean, you can die from anything, <laughs> I mean, though. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah, you walk across the street and die. Yeah, you hit yeah. by a truck. You're done. Just be me out here doing podcasts. It's super lonely. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. All right, so, you know, we're, we're talking new hunters, but or new, new uh, you know, charcuterie. Yeah. Um, what about the new hunter? Like, say say you're, you're out, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm, New to hunting this year, um, you know, I, I have a good shot at getting something down. Um, 
you know, what, what advice do you give to the new person in terms of like what to do with their deer at first? Um, I would say just don't be scared of it. You know, like you've, we've touched on this a few times, you know, in this conversation, but like there's this stigma or like at least this barrier mentally where it's like, well, this is food and this is not food. And this is something very different. And it's like, if you look at it, you know, side by side, the, you know, that meat versus anything you buy in the store is not very different. You know, it's not any more dangerous or, you know, inferior in quality or anything. You know, mm-hmm. if anything, I think it's generally better. You know, you actually know everything that went into it. You know, you, you killed it, yep. you skinned it, and you put it in your cooler. You know, a steak you buy on that's on a piece of styrofoam has probably touched nine or ten hands before it got to you, and who knows how long it's been in transit or whatnot. And, you know, because I think people need to just be able to trust themselves a little more and just be like, I'm going to enjoy this. And if you, I think if you go into it with a positive and adventurous attitude, you're not going to be disappointed. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And like, even just, if you cut something wrong, you know, like you didn't get the cut quite right. You sliced right through your tenderloin. It's still going to be edible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, just go, just go for it. So many people don't butcher their own deer and you know, oh. it's, it's really a shame. I mean, I really wish everybody would just try it once. I mean, you may not get it picture perfect the first time, but I mean, it's so much better than leaving it in the hands of somebody else. Oh yeah, we we butcher our own deer, and it's not definitely mm-hmm. not picture perfect. I mean, it's there. I mean, there's some we're getting better, but it can be a hack job. In there. Yeah, there's some knife no skill bath. requires and yeah. some anatomy and knowledge that you need to kind of know before you start hacking away and. You know, other things to consider, like, are you going to have a, a shoulder mount made out of the cape? Are you oh, going yeah, to tan the hide? You know, there's, yeah. there's a little bit of considerations to go in it. But once you get in there, I mean, you just follow muscle lines. Yeah. And just you can almost at times just move. You can take muscles out by your hands. Yeah, I remember doing that somehow. Yeah. Uh, I, was but- I was butchering a deer, and I literally slid my hand along down the spine. Yeah. And then just like scoop the whole thing out with my hand. Yeah, that was our. I was with you for that. Yeah, it, it was came the out nice. craziest thing I've ever seen. I feel like in the past we'd always try to carve it out, but if you can get your hand right behind those tissues and just, it just came right out so smooth and just turned out to be a, just a perfect piece of meat. But just kind of knowing that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was it was actually really cool to see, and I think there was other people with us who had never seen that before. Like You're Dan, a, there were a couple we, of our friends like Dan yeah, and Ty yeah. were there, and they're like, "Holy cow!" In college, what we would do is we would hunt. And then we would have uh, up at my cottage where we weren't supposed to be in the the fall by ourselves. Um, We would sneak (laughs) up there, you know, we'd invite girls and some friends and we'd show them, you know, how manly we were uh, by like providing, you know, the meal. And so, yeah, we did a lot of that. A lot of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, I mean, that was some good advice. One more question for you. Kind of a random one. Spice. Yeah. Like when it comes to deer, like what's your go-to spice do you you like to use? Are you, are you salt and pepper people, or do you like some kind of you know more unique spice? This one's all Rachel. She's the uh, spice witch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Come on! I knew you were gonna defer to me, and this is the hard question. She's the Emerald Lagasse, Emerald Lagasse with the bam going yeah. on. <laughs> I I do fulfill that role in the kitchen. That's fair. <laughs> Someone's got to be it. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he does like the the front end, and then I'm in the back end tweaking stuff. That's kind of how we work. Um, but yeah, I mean, salt and pepper. I mean, as much as and I'm a, I'm a huge spice nerd, and I've got one of everything. And you know, right. I spend more money at Penzies than I probably should, and I'm ordering specialty spices off of Amazon. Oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm all about it. But salt and pepper. I mean, you know people swear by their spice rubs and i think that's fine you know we definitely we use some tonys we love tonys oh yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but you know those spice rubs they tend to have a really dominant kind of assertive flavor and you know i think when you're pigeonholing your food if you're saying well venison is only for certain occasions and only for certain dishes and then you start just using that one spice rub then all your venison starts tasting the same yeah um and so i try not to have like this is my venison spice blend, or this is what I use with the venison because we're incorporating venison into our day-to-day life. Um, you know, we eat it every day just about. Right. And so, you know, we, it's, it's always something different. Um, we just did a kind of a Middle Eastern venison stew and, you know, we, we're all over the place with That's it. Cool. So, you know, I, I can't really commit to any one thing. So I'm going to say salt and pepper and get creative from there. Jared's is ketchup. 
Dude. That's his. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on a what meat. What you ate? Yeah, <laughs> ketchup in a juice box. It goes with set. everything. There you go. <laughs> no, I, you're you're pretty you're pretty adventurous. I feel like. Yeah, I'll try some different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Are you asking me that same no, question? Yeah, sure. What do you? Oof. What do you like? You know what? My wife has never. She's she hasn't she she didn't come from a hunting background. Sure. Okay. So, I'm slowly incorporating it more and more, and it has to be in a way that's palatable for her. Okay. All right? So if I start doing crazy spices, like ginger is a crazy spice for her. Really? Yep. That's our Dutch heritage out yes. here. It's very, very meat and potato-ish when she was growing up on. Sure. Right? Nothing against that. Right. But if I start throwing out some, some crazy spice in there, she'll be like, dude, what is that? Right. And then I have to tell her. But most of the time, she likes the dishes that I prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like what uh, what everyone's been saying is, Simple salt and pepper. Your salt, your salt and pepper, and again. a little garlic. Just like by the top of my head, a little salt, a little pepper. It's hard to go wrong. Yeah, with a little S and P. I've uh, I've I like a little garlic. Well, put a little garlic mm-hmm. in there. You know, just even a little bit. Um, not a big garlic guy, but I, I feel like sometimes because I, I can't say salt and pepper. I'm trying to think of something different. But I like a, a little garlic sprinkle. Yeah. So well, you guys, thank you for um, taking the time to to talk with us today. Um, for for people who want to follow your your blog, follow the recipes and the things that you're doing, where, where can they find you? So we've got a website. Uh, it's elevatedwild.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. Elevated Wild, easy enough to find. Yep. Uh, and if you want to talk to us, uh, we've got an email address: uh, hello at elevatedwild.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can find us on any of those platforms. Awesome. Yeah, you guys constantly come out with some some awesome stuff, and I know I'm gonna try Thank to you. try to mimic some of the the prize winning outcomes I can I see on there. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Let us know how it goes. We always yeah. want to hear about it. When Perfect. People cook our stuff. So yeah. and that goes to the listeners too. Let us know if you try anything. Awesome. We appreciate you guys so much for coming on, and um, yeah. Good luck this year. Well, thank you for Thanks taking so the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting. Join us next week, and we'll see you then.